0: chapter nine part one of glimpses of italian society in the eighteenth century by hester lynch piozzi this librivox is in the public domain naples part one on the tenth day of this month we arrived early at naples for i think it was about two o'clock in the morning and sure the providence of god preserved us for never was such weather seen by me since i came into the world Thunder, lightning, storm at sea, rain and wind contending for mastery and combining to extinguish the torches brought to light us the last stage. Vesuvius, vomiting fire and pouring torrents of red-hot lava down its sides, was the only object visible, and that we saw plainly in the afternoon, thirty miles off, when I asked a Franciscan friar if it was the famous volcano yes replied he that's our mountain which throws up money for us by calling foreigners to see the extraordinary effects of so surprising a phenomenon the weather was quiet then and we had no notion of passing such a horrible night but an hour after dark a storm came on which was really dreadful to endure or even look upon The blue lightning, whose colour showed the nature of the original minerals from which she drew her existence, shone round us in a broad expanse from time to time, and sudden darkness followed in an instant. No object then but the fiery river could be seen, till another flash discovered the waves tossing and breaking at a height I never saw before. Nothing sure was ever more sublime or awful than our entrance into Naples at the dead hour we arrived, when not a whisper was to be heard in the streets, and not a glimpse of light was left to guide us, except the small lamp hung now and then at a high window before a favourite image of the Virgin. My poor maid had by this time nearly lost her wits with terror, and the French valet, Crushed with fatigue and covered with rain and sea spray, had just life enough left to exclaim, no madame, il me semble que nous sommes venus ici express pour voir la fin du monde. Footnote. Lord, madame, why we came here on purpose, sure, to see the end of the world. End footnote. The vie de Londres inn was full and could not accommodate our family. But calling up the people of the crocelle we obtained a noble apartment the windows of which look full upon the celebrated bay which washes the wall at our door caprea lies opposite the drawing-room or gallery which is magnificent and my bed-chamber commands a complete view of the mountain which i value more and which called me the first night twenty times away from sleep and supper though never so in want of both as at that moment, surely. Such were my first impressions of this wonderful metropolis, of which I had been always reading summer descriptions, and had regarded somehow as an Hesperian garden, an earthly paradise, where delicacy and softness subdued every danger, and general sweetness captivated every sense nor have i any reason yet to say it will not still prove so for though wet and weary and hungry we wanted no fire and found only inconvenience from that they lighted on our arrival it was the fashion at florence to struggle for a terreno but here we are all perched up one hundred and forty two steps from the level of the land and sea Large balconies, apparently well secured, give me every enjoyment of a prospect which no repetition can render tedious. And here we have agreed to stay till spring, which I trust will come out in this country as soon as the New Year calls it. Our eagerness to see sights has been repressed at Naples only by finding everything a sight one need not stir out to look for wonders sure while this amazing mountain continues to exhibit such various scenes of sublimity and beauty at exactly the distance one would choose to observe it from a distance which almost admits examination and certainly excludes immediate fear when in the silent night however one listens to its groaning while hollow sighs as of gigantic sorrow were often heard distinctly in my apartment nothing can surpass one's sensations of amazement except the consciousness that custom will abate their keenness i have not however yet learned to lie quiet when columns of flame high as the mountain self shoot from its crater into the clear atmosphere with a loud and violent noise nor shall i ever forget the scene it presented one day to my astonished eyes on a thick cloud charged heavily with electric matter passing over met the fiery explosion by mere chance and went off in such a manner as effectually baffles all verbal description and lasted too short a time for a painter to seize the moment and imitate its very strange effect monsieur de voler however a native of france long resident in the city has obtained by perpetual observation a power of representing vesuvius without that black shadow which others have thought necessary to increase the contrast but which greatly takes away all resemblance of its original upon reflection it appears to me that the men most famous at london and paris for performing tricks with fire have been always italians in my time and commonly neapolitans no wonder i should think naples would produce prodigious connoisseurs in this way we have almost perpetual lightning of various colours according to the soil from whence the vapours are exhaled sometimes of a pale straw or lemon colour often white like artificial flame produced by camphor but oftenest blue bright as the rays emitted through the coloured liquors set in the window of a chemist's shop in london and with such thunder for god's sake sir said i to some of them is there no danger of the ships in the harbour here catching fire why we should all fly up in the air directly if once these flashes should communicate to the room where any of the vessels keep their powder powder madam Replies the man, amazed. Why, if St. Peter and St. Paul came here with gunpowder on board, we should soon drive them out again. Don't you know, added he, that every ship discharges her contents at such a place, naming it, and never comes into our port with a grain on board? Superstition still keeps her footing in this country and inspires such veneration for St Januarius, his name, his blood, his statue, etc., that the Neapolitans were famous for blasphemous odes, and a facility of taking the most sacred words into their mouths on every, and I may say on no occasion, I never heard to repeat his name without pulling off their hat, or making some reverential sign of worship at that moment and i have seen italians from other states greatly shocked at the grossness of these their unenlightened neighbours particularly the half indian custom of burning figures upon their skins with gunpowder these figures large and oddly displayed too according to the coarse notions of the wearer as the weather is exceedingly warm and there is little need of clothing for comfort our lazzaroni have a small care about appearances and go with a vast deal of their persons uncovered except by these strange ornaments the man who rows you about this lovely bay has perhaps the angel raphael or the blessed virgin mary delineated on one brawny sunburnt leg the saint of the town upon the other his arms represent the glory or the seven spirits of god or some strange things while a brass medal hangs from his neck expressive of his favourite martyr who they confidently affirm is so madly venerated by these poor uninstructed mortals that when the mountain burns or any great disaster threatens them they beg of our saviour to speak to st januarius in their behalf and entreat him not to refuse them his assistance now though all this was told me by friends of the romish persuasion and told me too with a just horror of the superstitious folly i think my remarks and inferences were not agreeable to them when expressing my notion that it was only a relic of the adoration originally paid to janus in italy as to st januarius there certainly was a martyr of that name at naples and to him was transferred much of the veneration originally bestowed on the deity from whom he was probably named one need not however wander round the world with banks and slander or stare so at the accounts given of st cook's voyages of tattooed indians when naples will show on the effects of a like operation very very little better executed on the broad shoulders of numberless lazzaroni and of this there is no need to examine books for information he who runs over Chianiae may read in large characters the gross superstition of the Napolitani, who have no inclination to lose their old classical character for laziness. Et inotia natam patenopen, says Ovid. I wonder, however, whether our people would work much, surrounded by similar circumstances. I fancy not. Englishmen, poor fellows, must either work Or starve these folks want for nothing a house would be an inconvenience to them they like to sleep out of doors and it is plain they have small care for clothing as many who possess decent habiliments enough i speak of the lazzaroni throw almost all off till some holiday or time of gala and sit by the seaside playing at morrow with their fingers A Florentine nobleman told me once that he asked one of these fellows to carry his portmanteau for him and offered him a canine, no small sum certainly to a Neapolitan, and rather more in proportion than an English shilling. He had not twenty yards to go with it. Are you hungry, master? cries the fellow. No, replied Count Manucci, but what of that? Why then, no more am I was the answer and it is too hot weather to carry burdens so turned about upon the other side and lay still this class of people amounting to a number that terrifies one but to think on some say sixty thousand souls and experience confirms no less give the city an air of gaiety and cheerfulness that one cannot help honestly rejoicing in the strada del toledo is one continual crowd nothing can exceed the confusion to a walker here are little gigs drawn by one horse which without any bit in its mouth but a string tied round its nose tears along with inconceivable rapidity a small narrow gilt chair set between the two wheels and no spring to it nor anything else which can add to the weight and this flying car is a kind of fiacre you pay so much for a drive-in. I forget the sum. Horses are particularly handsome in this town, not so large as at Milan, but very beautiful and spirited. The cream-coloured creatures, such as draw our king's state coach, are a common breed here and shine like satin. Here are some, too, of a shining silver-white, wonderfully elegant and ladies upon the corso exhibit a variety scarcely credible in the colour of their cattle which draw them but the coaches harness trappings etc vastly inferior to the milanese whose liveries are often splendid while the four or five ill-dressed strange-looking fellows that disgrace the neapolitan equipage seem to be valued only for their number and have often very much the air of Sir John Falstaff's recruits. Yesterday, however, showed me what I knew not had existed a skewball or piebald ass, eminently well proportioned, coated like a racer in an English stud, sixteen hands and a half high, his colour bay and white in large patches, and his temper, as the proprietor told me singularly docile and gentle i have longed perhaps to purchase few things in my life more earnestly than this beautiful and useful animal which i might have had for two pounds fifteen shillings english but dared not lest like dogberry i should have been written down for an ass by my merry country folks who i remember could not let the queen of england herself possess in peace a creature of the same kind but handsomer still and from a still hotter climate called the zebra apropos to quadrupeds when portia in the merchant of venice enumerates her lovers she names the neapolitan prince first who she says does nothing for his part but talk of his horse and makes it his greatest boast that he can shew him himself this is almost literally true of a nobleman here and they really do not throw their pains away for it is surprising to see what command they have their cattle in though bits are scarcely used among them the coat armour of naples consists of an unbridled horse and by what i can make out of their character they much resemble him Qualis Ubi abruptus vulga precepia vinclis, tandem libe echoes, etc. Footnote. Freed from his keepers, thus with broken reins, the wanton courser prances o'er the plains. Dryden. End Resemble him, generous and gay, headstrong and violent in their disposition, easy to turn, but difficult to stop no authority is respected by them when some strong passion animates them to fury yet lazily quiet and unwilling to stir till accident rouses them to terror or rage urges them forward to incredible exertions of suddenly bestowed strength in the eruption of seventeen seventy nine their fears and superstitions rose to such a height that they seized the french ambassador upon the bridge him almost out of his carriage as he fled from port and was met by them upon the ponte de la madalena where they threatened him with instant death if he did not get out of his carriage and prostrating himself before the statue of a saint januarius which stands there entreat his protection for the city all this however monsieur le comte de clermont d'Ambroise did not comprehend a word of but taking all the money out of his pocket threw it down happily for him at the feet of the figure and pacified them at once gaining time by those means to escape their vengeance it was i think upon some other occasion that sir william hamilton's book relates their unworthy treatment of the venerable archbishop who refused them the relics with which they had no doubt of saving the menaced town but every time Vesuvius burns with danger to the city, they scruple not to insult their sovereign as he flies from it, throwing large stones after his chariot guards, etc., making the insurrection it is sure to occasion more perilous, if possible, than the volcano itself. And last night, when la Montagne fue cativa, footnote, when the mountain was in ill-humour, footnote as their expression was, a laquet de Place observed that it might possibly be because so many heretics and unbelievers had been up at the day before. End of chapter nine Part one